0: Father, we thank you so much that you have given us revelation of yourself. Father, you did not have to reveal who you are and what you expect and what you have done that we might be right with you. Father, you've given us this great gift of 66 books in one book, the Bible, your revealed will. We thank you and praise you for it. Father, I pray that tonight as we dig into the last verses of Romans 4, you would help us. Help us to see clearly you. Help us to see clearly Jesus. Help us to see clearly ourselves. Help us to see clearly how we should respond because of what we hear tonight and what your word says and instructs. God, would you give us ears to hear now, eyes to see, and the gift of faith to believe? Please help us. We need you. Father, give me the words to say, and may we not be distracted this evening. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. So I'm going to read the entirety of the the 16 through 25 of chapter 4, and then we'll start breaking it down verse by verse. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No, unbelief made him, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. I'm so thankful that I get to preach it. So the song we just sang was about the promises of God. Great is your faithfulness to me. And verse one is about our message, our text tonight. Here's verse one of the song we just sang, Promises. God of Abraham, you're the God of covenants, which means promise, of faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven you do just what you say. And so this text, in a nutshell, is God is faithful to keep his promises. Isn't that good news? That when God says he will do something or he will not do something, it will come to pass because God is faithful to his word. And his faithfulness, thankfully, eclipses our unfaithfulness, which is so prevalent. And that's the good news, friends. And that's the aim of this message, is to show God's faithfulness and how we can be swallowed up in that faithfulness by believing, by trusting, by faith. All right, so let's start in verses 16 and 17. That is why it depends on faith. Now, the it is pointing to Justin's sermon last week. It's pointing to verse 13 that just came before. For the promise, that's the it, the promise, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir of the world did not come through law, but through the righteousness of faith. Okay, so the it right here in 16, that is why it is the promise. Okay, the promise of God. What's the promise of God? That Abraham and his offspring would be heir of the world. They would inherit the world. And it would come not by Abraham's doing good or not doing evil, but rather by God's promise. And by Abraham's belief in God's promise. That's what it means by righteousness of faith. So that is why it, the promise, depends on faith in order that the promise, there it is right there in 16, may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring. Now, offspring, seed, it means children, okay? And, and you know the story of Abraham. He did not have biological children until his wife, Sarah, had this crazy plan that he would take her Egyptian servant as a second wife, if you will, and have children through her. And so he did that. He, he in a sense, married her and, the, and Ishmael was born. And though this is not the promise, this is not the child of promise that God said, "I will, I will give you." And He said, "No, through Abraham, or I'm sorry, through Isaac shall your offspring be named." Now we'll get more into this in chapter nine, so we can just leave that where it is. Stick around till chapter nine, and we'll get into that heavily. But for now, uh, what we're seeing is that Abraham will have offspring, and they will be from his own body. But then, in addition, they will be. Those who follow in his faith, not just biological, but those who have the same kind of faith and exercise the same kind of faith that Abraham had. This is next, not only to the adherent of the law, meaning not what he could accomplish, not what he did to obey or to please God, but also to the one who shares, shares the faith of Abraham. Now look at this, who is the father of us all? Now, us all, you gotta remember the context here. Chapters one through four, it's been going back and forth, Paul's been going back and forth between Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Gentiles. So the us all is both Jews and Gentiles, everyone. There is only, in the thinking of the Jews, Jewish people and non-Jewish people, Jews and Gentiles. And so those who have faith from every ethnicity, every ethnos, those are the children of Abraham as well. Who is the father of us all? Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, ethnicities, ethnos, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Now, in Galatians, Paul picks up on this idea again of we are the children of Abraham by faith. So let's read it. Galatians 3, 7 to 9. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, okay? Now, let me unpack faith for just a moment, okay? I did this two weeks ago, but let me just brief you again. Faith has three elements. Do you remember this? One, the content of the truth. Two, the truthfulness of the truth. Like, yeah, I have the content, and I believe that that's real and true. But then number three element is I entrust myself to the truth or better yet in the gospel, the person of the truth. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth truth. Jesus is the person of truth. But when we, in, when we take action, faith works, right? Faith that doesn't have works connected to it, proving its validity is dead. That's what James's letter is, is all about. Faith without works is dead. And so when we take action on the promises of God as if we believe them, we are entrusting ourselves to the promises. Now in the gospel, it is that Jesus is the promise of God made flesh, He is the truth of God incarnate, and we not only believe, but we entrust ourselves to him. We don't just believe the facts about what Jesus accomplished. We give ourselves wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, to him, and we entrust ourselves to Christ. And so the faith that Abraham had was not in Christ because Christ had not come yet. The faith that Abraham had was in the promise of God. And in a very similar way, we exercise faith in the promise of God landing in the person of Jesus Christ, what he accomplished. What did he accomplish? Perfectly fulfilling the law, dying on the cross as a substitute for us, rising from the dead that we too one day united to him might rise from the dead, both spiritually now and in the future physically with resurrected bodies. And so those of us who have faith in the gospel are like Abraham who had faith in the promises of God in the Old Testament. Now, interestingly, all wrapped up in the gospel are the promises of God to Abraham because he says, in you shall all the nations be blessed. And he's pointing to Jesus. In fact, in Galatians, Paul says, this was preaching the gospel to Abraham beforehand. So Paul sees in this promise, in you, Abraham, all the ethnicities, all the ethnos, all the people groups, they will be blessed in you. Paul says that's the gospel because through the seed of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons, Judah, and then through the Judah, through the Judah line comes David, and then through David comes this one who will inherit the kingdom forever, the great king, the lion from the tribe of Judah. And so, Paul sees backwards the gospel in this promise. Through you, Abraham, will all the nations be blessed. Verse 8 And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify or count righteous the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So, Back to our text here in Romans four. Look, that is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to his offspring, not just the physical offspring, not only the adherence of the law to the adherents of the law, that means the Jewish people, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. Hey, friends, listen to me. When God took Abraham maybe 3,000, 4,000 years ago out into the wilderness and said, Abraham, look up at the stars. Count them if you can. So shall your offspring be. Friends, do you realize you, who have faith in Jesus, were up in the sky that night? Count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. See Chris up there? See Pete up there? You see Vince up there? You see Jackie up there. You see Eddie up there. Because we who share in the faith of Abraham, we are also sons of Abraham in that sense. We are part of the promise that we will inherit as Abraham was promised inheritance with his people. We are his people. We are his offspring. We are his seed by faith, not by biology. Again, we'll get back into this in Romans 9, so I can't take too much time on it. So the, not only the adherent of the law means the Jewish people because they were the ones given the law, given the fathers, given the priestly you know, ordinances and cleanliness laws, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, us, Gentiles, non-Jewish people. Who is the father of us all? All Jews, Gentiles. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, nations, In the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. Now, this verse 17 is quoting Genesis 17 5. Let me turn there for you. Genesis 17 5 is the text, but I want to read it in context, so I'm going to start in 4. God, speaking to Abraham, says this, Behold, my covenant is with you, Abraham, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram. Abram means exalted father. That's what his name means. But your name shall be Abraham. Abraham means father of a multitude. Now keep in mind, he has no children yet, and he's very old, and this is very unlikely to happen. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, we can breeze past that verse five, but did you notice that God spoke in the past tense there? Listen what he said. I have made you the father of a multitude of what? Nations. Pointing again to the faith, those who are of the faith. Now, if, I, if, I said to, if my wife says to me, hey, uh, would you put the clean clothes from the washer into the dryer, and I say, I already have? What does that mean? It's already done. So when God here says, I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, what does that mean? God is faithful to his promises, and when he says it, it's as good as already done. Great is your faithfulness to Abraham. (laughs) Seriously, so God here is speaking as if it's already accomplished, meanwhile, it would not. Because God, when he says something, it's going to happen. No one can stop him. No one can thwart the plans of God. His will will always be done. In fact, this is what Ephesians 1.11 says. All things go according to the counsel of his will. And so he can speak, this is going to happen, and he can speak it in the past tense to Abraham here in verse five. Now verse six, I will, now he's speaking future tense, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations. Notice the nations, people groups, people groups, people groups, Asians and Africans and South Americans and Alaskans. I will make you into nations of peoples because Those who have faith will be the children of Abraham. And kings shall come from you. David, Solomon, trace first and second kings out. Jesus, the king of kings. And verse seven, I will establish my covenant promise between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I promise you, Abraham, I will be your God, and I will be God to your offspring after you. Not just the biological offspring, but those who are of your faith, Abraham. Us, our God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is our God. We are in this text in Genesis 17, four through seven. Have you thought about Genesis as a gospel? (laughs) Now I know it's not one of the four Gospels, but friends, the Gospel is in Genesis over and over and over again, and here it is right here with the story of Abraham. This is why Paul picks up on Abraham in Galatians and in Romans, and he spends a lot of time with Abraham showing how he was justified, declared righteous because of his faith, which was a gift. So let's now, wait, I want to I spend a little bit of time more in 17 here. So. I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, okay? Who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Now, this text is pointing to God's power, his omnipotence, his omnipotence. He is all-powerful. He, from nothing, created everything. In the beginning, God said... Let there be, and there was everything. Now, I I just had the privilege of spending a few days up in the mountains, Laurel Highlands area, and friends, when you're there and you just sit in nature, even for five minutes, you can't help but hear life, movement, and being, and see all around you life, movement, and being. From bugs, to birds, to squirrels, to bees, to wasps, and snakes, and yes, I saw all of them. And, and all that from nothing. God took no raw material and said, let there be, and there was all of it. And friends, have you ever considered, where does all the energy for the atoms to make all this life movement and being keep going? Where's all that energy coming from? Not only is he the creator, friends, but he's the sustainer as well. Keeping life, movement, and being happening, your life, movement, and being. You realize that you are a 100% dependent creature. The moment God says to you, stop, you're done. Your heart stops beating, your brain stops working, and you will return to dust from which you came, and so will I. But you know what? That's bad news if you don't know God personally as your father, but man, is that fantastic news if God is your father and Jesus Christ is your not only big brother, but advocate before the father, who stood in your place, took the wrath on your behalf, and said with his dying breath, it is finished, I accomplished what I came to do. Mission accomplished. And he gave up his spirit. Friends, it's great news that God is the one who holds your life movement and being if he's your father. If he is not your father, that is a terrifying reality. But then if you just think a little deeper, then that means your life movement and being, your existence is dependent on you. That's even scarier than it depending on someone else who in his word says he is good and merciful and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to his promises. Faithful to Abraham here, and so that's why Paul is highlighting him as an example for us. So let's jump in now to Romans 4, 6, uh, 18. In hope, he believed against hope. Now this is Abraham. He is the one who believed and hope looks forward. Did you know that? Hope doesn't look at something that is that is. And hope, no. So just just in a lighthearted way, let's say that the Powerball was up to 20 million and I was like, I, I gotta play. I don't play, but I have to pay. You know, I, I got tempted and I and I lost the temptation and I bought a Powerball ticket. And my hope is that when those numbers show up, they will match my numbers, but yet it hasn't happened. My hope is in my picking the right numbers or the machine picking the right numbers and then those numbers hitting my numbers and me winning this prize. That is looking into the future, hopefully. But how likely is it that I'm gonna hit the Powerball when it's 20 million or 20 billion? Very, 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 very minute. Right, I probably have a better chance of walking under a banana tree in Africa and a clump of bananas falling on me and killing me. It's probably more likely that that would happen than I actually win the Powerball. Okay? So don't play the lottery. Okay? You'll save thousands of dollars throughout your lifetime if you just don't play. Okay? There's my, my tip for the day. Buy Apple stock instead. Okay? That was for you, Vince. <laughs> In hope, he believed against hope, meaning there's nothing in Abraham's situation that would warrant the kind of hope that he had that God would actually come through, why? Because friends, he is so old at this point that he is past being able to bear children. His wife is past being able to bear children, and there hasn't been any yet throughout his whole life. No children yet, and I'm sure they tried and practiced many times without success and so here comes God along and says I'm going to make you not just fruitful with one child but nations are going to come from you and and he looks at himself and says hasn't happened yet everything in his circumstance and all the evidence pointed against hope but yet Abraham look he believed against hope friends I have to pause here for a second Now, this can be applicable to us. I have lived long enough as a Christian to see impossible circumstances and situations turn out good. Have you been a Christian that long to see it yourself? In the moment, it is terrible and horrific, and even how could you, God? But yet, in time, we see what God was up to But in the moment, we hope against hope, don't we? When everything looks dire and dreary and depressing and we're down, yet, friends, we can have hope in those moments. This is the life of faith, friends, And so I wanted to make a quick application there, more on that to come. But this is the situation with Abraham. All his circumstances are saying, no way, absolutely not. You should not believe what God is saying. And yet against all the evidence, against all his reasoning, he believes. Why? Because God is faithful to his promises and he believed in God to fulfill his promise. Now, let me stop here for just a second. Faith in itself, as we've said many times, is neutral. Every person in existence has faith. All it is is belief or trusting in something or someone. Muslims have faith, and Hindus have faith, and Buddhists have faith, and atheists have faith. They believe in Darwin and his theory of evolution. Agnostics have faith in their inability to nail down the afterlife or God. I'm right, I believe. So everyone has belief, friends, everyone has faith. We, who are Christians, believe in God and his promises found where? In his word. This is why word is so central to not only our church but every church that is going to be an effective church because what do we have if we don't have God and his word and his promises? We're playing games, we're playing games. And so here is God in all of his attributes promising Abraham and Abraham believes and he is counted righteous. Now Abraham's faith lands in God and lands in the promise of God. His faith is not in himself or his own belief. Now we've talked about this. Faith in faith is not what's happening here with Abraham. Abraham is not being lauded for his strong faith. Abraham, your faith is so mighty. I will reward your mighty faith with righteousness. No, Abraham's faith is going away from himself and landing in God and in God's promises. This must be the case for you. Your faith as a Christian is to land in Jesus and what he's done, on Jesus and what he accomplished. It's not supposed to boomerang back If you just had faith, you could move mountains. Yes, Jesus said that, but that was connected to forgiveness. (laughs) In other words, you can forgive if you believe, meaning you've been forgiven so much if you believed that you were a sinner so great and how great a debt you've been forgiven. From that, you can forgive. Context matters. And so we don't have faith in our faith. It's not about us. It's about the object of our faith. And he, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is faithful to do what he said he would do. Where do we find what he said he would do? In the word. The word is the solid rock because it points to God, the solid rock who gave it to us. All right. He believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And this is in Genesis 15, five. And this is the text I alluded to earlier. And he brought him outside and said, this is God saying to Abraham, look toward heaven, number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the promise of God so shall your offspring be. 19, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Are you kidding me? So he's 100 years old, and he's hoping against hope, and yet as his body gets older, which would be more evidence against the promise of God, his faith actually grew stronger that God was going to do what he said he would do. Man, that, that is faith, isn't it? Hoping against hope when the evidence just keeps getting less and less and less as the years roll on. But this is what faith does. Faith believes that God is able to do what he said against all natural reasoning and resources and evidence to the contrary. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Up until this point, no children. And then, by the way, when he did actually get that Egyptian second wife, if you will, guess what happened? There was a child. So who who was the barren one? It's clear. It was Sarah. She was the reason they couldn't have kids. And so here she is barren, considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. That could actually be translated deadness. But isn't it just like God to bring life from the dead? And that's exactly what he does in Abraham and Sarah's case. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Now, the strengthening of Abraham's faith means he believed and trusted in God more and more and more. It doesn't mean that he had faith in his own belief. He believed in his belief and that grew stronger and stronger and stronger. Are you able to separate the two? If you want pictures, imagine faith as arrows and all of the faith comes out in arrows and it doesn't then go and turn back in like a boomerang. Rather, it keeps on going out and it lands on the promise of God. That's what happens. No faith is returning back to Abraham. He's not doing faith push-ups or drinking faith, you know, protein shakes. None of that. He is trusting in God alone who made the promise. This is what we do, friends. Friends. Nothing in my hands I bring, not even my faith. Only to the cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. We bring nothing and we get everything. Because our faith lands in the same God who fulfills his promises. And so as he believes... He gives glory to God. Now, did you ever think about that? You're believing the promises of God, and then as we mentioned earlier, James says that you act on it, right? Because faith without works is dead. So you're exercising faith in God and his promises glorifies God. This is what you were created for. You are fulfilling your purpose. You're fulfilling your purpose. Now, let's finish the text here. Again, it's not about the strength of Abraham's faith. It's about God's power and faithfulness to his promises. Now, I want to point something out here that might be hidden in the text. Multiple commentators note that Abraham must have had some insight into the fact that his seed would be connected in some way to Genesis 3.15. Remember the seed of the woman that would crush the serpent's head? the capital S seed, the capital O offspring. He must have had some indication that this was the case. We don't have that recorded for us in Genesis. And, but it's interesting, when you read John 8 and you listen to Jesus' conversation with the Jews who were hostile to him and the religious leaders that were hostile to him, their conversation about Abraham goes a little bit revealing. Let's let's look at it. So I'm not going to put it up. Just listen, okay? This is being recorded. You can listen to it again. Relax and listen. John 8, 39. Jesus is in a tussle with the Jews who don't like him and don't like his claims and with the religious leaders. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Now what were the works Abraham did? He believed God. Now this is where Jesus goes. If we jump down from 39 now to 56, you can read the whole chapter on your own. He says, your father Abraham, Jesus, rejoiced, rejoiced that he would see my day. Wait a minute. We don't see that in Genesis. That Abraham rejoiced that he would see the day of Christ? He saw it. When? Well, we're not exactly told when. Perhaps through you all the nations will be blessed. He saw it and was glad. Now they understood what he was saying because listen to their response. So the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? But you're 30, what, three, four? How old are you? And you've seen Abraham, are you kidding me? And then Jesus responds, Truly, truly, (laughs) I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And you just see their faces widen and then harden, and then rocks are picked up, and as they make the baseball pitch throw, he's gone. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Now, isn't it interesting that he said, look, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He saw it and was glad. So is it possible that God revealed more to Abraham than we have knowledge of? I think so. Either that is the case, or perhaps the reference is to, in you shall all the nations be blessed. But whatever the case, Abraham is here in verse 21, fully convinced Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Let's stop there. 21. Okay. Now, this is, in a sense, friends, how faith makes sense to us. Okay. God is able to do whatever he wants to do, that is consistent with his character. Could God sin? No, it's against his character. Could God lie? No, it's against his character. Whatever's consistent with his character, he is able to do. Now, we can get faith twisted, and we can get this idea of promises twisted, because we imagine that God has promised us things that he never has promised us, and so we believe that God will do something for us, because we've prayed and we've believed, and yet he never said he would do that. And then we get disappointed. I've had many conversations with people who've said, I've prayed and God didn't come through in some way, shape, or form. And I always wanted to say to the person, he never said he would come through if you asked for that. Friends, we cannot imagine that God has made promises to us that he has never made and then get upset at him because he's not doing what we want him to do as if our faith warrants The answer to our desire and prayer. It's not how this thing works. No, when God makes a promise in his word that is clear and accurate, we can exercise faith in that promise and he will come through. He will come through. And so here, God is able to do what he had promised, but he doesn't always do what he has not promised. Does God always heal? No, should we pray for healing? I think that's a right thing to do. John tells us in 1 John, we know we have what we asked of him if what? We ask according to his will. And that's exactly what's being said here in verse 21. We know we have what we ask of him when we ask according to his revealed will, his promises. But friends, we can ask away, and God invites us, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Give us this day our daily bread. We can ask, ask away, pray big prayers, but don't get mad at God when he doesn't come through on something he never promised you, okay? But you must believe that he is able and will do what he said he will do. He will come through. The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, faithfulness to his promises. But note, God can do whatever he wants to do. And so a a helpful thing for me to think about is when I want something to go a certain way, even if it's something stupid and petty, I'm praying about it. God, I really want this to happen tonight. And it doesn't go that way. You know how I comfort my soul? The Lord's will be done. There have been times where I've wanted something to go a certain way and it has not gone that way. And you know what came up in me? Just anger and rage. And you know what helped me to come down? God, you are sovereign. This was part of your plan. You are doing something bigger than what I want to happen in this moment. Help me to trust you. Help me to believe that whatever you're doing with this thing, this circumstance, this situation, you are doing something good and you are involved. You are not distant. Friends, I comfort my soul that way all the time and I would commend it to you. If God is sovereign in control, then everything that happens, even the bad, the seemingly bad, and some of them are very bad, they're part of his bigger plan. And sometimes, only in hindsight can we look at those dark, dark days, months, sometimes years, and see what he was doing. And then sometimes, you won't know until you die. And then you see, oh my gosh, this is what you were doing. But friends, we can believe that God, we could be like Abraham here, fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. He can do and will do what he promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. Now back to the first six to seven verses of the chapter. The imputation or to credit in place of another of the righteousness of Christ applied backward to Abraham's. Jesus accomplished righteousness, active obedience, it went backwards to Abraham. Or from the perspective of Abraham, he was counted righteous with the righteousness of Christ that wouldn't come for a long, long, long time later. Thousands of years later. And yet, here is God, who is in some mysterious way outside of time and space, crediting the righteousness of Jesus not yet accomplished, to Abraham. And so his believing in the promise of God, God says, I am going to count you righteous and declare you righteous, I'm gonna justify you, I'm gonna say you are not guilty because I'm gonna give you the not guiltiness of my son. Verse 23, but the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. Praise God for Genesis, a gospel book. Not for him alone, but for ours also. Isn't that good news? All the things written in the Old Testament, friends, are for your benefit. Don't be a New Testament junkie. Now read the, read the New Testament, okay? I'm not saying discard the New No. Go into the old and enjoy the word of God and the promises and the unfolding of the gospel throughout the entire 66 books. Don't just live in the New Testament. I did this for a long, long, long time. My early Christian years were just living in the New Testament. What's Amos about? <laughs> What's Zechariah about? Is that that's not a book, is it? It's a book of the Bible, yeah. Right. What's Third Kings about? Oh, you got me on that one. All right. Let's read the Old Testament too with a view. Friends, you don't understand the, the gift you have of the gospel lens to look at the Old Testament with. You have the gospel by which to look back at the Old Testament and see what God was doing to redeem all throughout history. You have that gift. And I commend that view of History to you, redemptive history. The words that was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but also for ours. It will be counted to us, good news. Us who believe in him, who raised from the dead our Lord. We believe in the promises of God like one of the most famous in the New Testament, John three sixteen. For God the Father so loved the world He gave Jesus that whoever believes in him will not perish under his wrath, I added that, will not perish but have eternal life. And so we believe that promise from God, that God sent Jesus so that we wouldn't be condemned but rather be saved. And we trust the promise of God and we entrust ourselves to Jesus and ask him for forgiveness. We ask for mercy it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Now, sometimes unbelief makes us waver, does it not? Sometimes we find ourselves struggling to believe. I do. I fight the fight of faith, meaning we have to fight sometimes to believe. Am I the only one? Okay, thank you. Our experience as human beings in a broken world, with broken bodies, with broken relationships, means at times you will be tempted by the enemy, by your flesh, to not believe. And to function like an unbeliever. To live by your resources, to live by your strength, to live by what you can accomplish, the flesh and not by God, not by God's strength by the Holy Spirit, and not by the promises of God. And you know what we do in those moments? We first need to see it, oh my gosh, I've been doing that. Then we need to confess it to God and ask for forgiveness, and then we need to say, oh God, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. Pray a prayer like that. God, give me the gift of faith. You were the giver of faith. Give it to me. My faith is weak. It's wavering. Oh, give me the faith I need that I do not have right now. And even in that prayer, friends, you're depending on the God who supplies all our needs. The very prayer is an act of faith. Oh, God, help my unbelief give me faith to believe your word give me faith to believe that you're involved give me faith to believe that you're in this give me faith to believe that you're good when my circumstances and situation says you're not or when satan's hollering in my ear that you're actually evil look at my life will we believe the word or will we believe what our eyes can see The second verse of the Promises song that we sang right before announcements in the message says this. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast. And let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. We could reverse that verse there. We could say, when our heart learns that when God speaks a word, it will come to pass, then we remain steadfast. Because only by us trusting in the promises of God can we remain steadfast in the face of so much suffering, so much opposition, so much trouble, so much strife. Because God is above it all and in some mysterious way orchestrating and controlling all of it for his glory and our Christian ultimate good. This is true. And so will we believe God or will we believe our circumstance, situation, place in life, what other people are saying, etc. Now, Hebrews 11:6 and I'm done with this. Hebrews 11:6 talks about Abraham I'm sorry, Hebrews 11 is is the faith hall of fame, if you will. And it talks about those who had great faith. And amazing things are accomplished by those who had great faith, but bad things happen to those who have great faith too. Like sawn in two, put to the sword, died believing, not seeing the promises, but still believing that God would do it, even after they pass. And so friends, sometimes when you believe in God... You will see what you want, what you desire, what your dreams and hopes are. You will see it come. But sometimes, friends, you won't. And you must not, at that point, abandon God. You must believe and trust. And if you're struggling to believe and trust, you must call out to him, help my unbelief. You call out to other believers And say, my faith is wavering. I'm being thrown around by this storm. I need your faith to anchor me. Preach the gospel to me. Tell me God is in control. Quote verses of sovereignty to me. I can't believe right now. Help me to believe, friend, fellow Christian church member. Help. Friends, don't isolate. It's the worst thing you could do. When Satan is tempting and Satan's attacking and you isolate, you are fair game to be eaten because the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Don't get devoured. So here's Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. The him is God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that one, God exists? And do you secondly believe that he rewards those who seek him? Seek him in prayer, seek him in the word, seek him in worship, seek him in sermons preached and the church gathered the normal means of grace. Do you believe that he is a rewarder of those that seek him. That's what it says. Hebrews eleven six. That's a promise. Meaning, if you diligently seek him, guess what you're going to find? God. Man, that's a great promise. Now, here's a few other things that Jesus promised that we don't like. But, but I, I want you to have real faith and not a false faith. So let's not fool ourselves into thinking that God's made promises that he's not made. He has not promised a trouble-free life. Rather, the opposite. In John 16, 33, he said, in the world you will have trouble. ESV says tribulation, trials. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. You won't have a trouble-free life. No, rather Jesus says you will have tribulation and trouble but you can take heart in the tribulation and trouble, why? Because I have overcome, and you're connected to me by faith, and by that union, you will overcome. I'm getting ahead of myself, that's Romans 8. How about, how about God never promised that we as Christians would be popular? He never promised that we would be appreciated by non-Christians. In fact, he promised the opposite. In John 15, 18 through 19, he said, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. Friends when there's a love fest going on between non-Christians at award shows or you know any kind of acclamation or praise of those who are making it who are not Christians friends don't get jealous or upset or want to be in that spotlight that is not for you yet you do realize that there will be eternal Acclamation. There will be eternal affirmation. There will be eternal reward for you, but you're not promised it now. Friends, do you long to hear God say to you on Judgment Day, Well done? All the Grammys through all the years will look like a gray tone in that moment when that shining award is given you, well done, good and faithful servant. Friends, that should be your aim in life, to hear that from God on judgment day. He who deserves all praise and glory will give you some. Well done. So anyway, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore it hates you. Friends, don't be surprised if the world hates you, meaning non-Christians. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore we should go to war. No. No. Jesus rather said, if your enemy's hungry... Feed them. If your enemy's thirsty, give him a drink. Blessed are you when you're persecuted and maligned and people say all kinds of evil because you belong to me, for great will be your reward in heaven. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. Jesus' own words. Friends, we are to love our enemy. Do good to those who persecute us. Doesn't sound like war to me. And that's impossible without the spirit of God enabling it. Love your enemy. God has not promised you health or healing He's not promised you comfort or ease. He's not promised that your hopes and dreams would be fulfilled. He's not promised pleasure and prosperity. He's not promised earthly power and authority. He's not promised you conflictless relationships. Man, I wish that that was my promise. <laughs> Why is it that all my relationships are full of conflict? Maybe because you're a jerk, Chris. Maybe. Maybe. I'd like to think not, but maybe. I mean, I. I'll give you that, all right. He has not promised conflictless relationships. He's not promised earthly popularity or recognition. He's not promised long earthly life. He's not. He's not promised many of the things that we spend our lives trying to get. But you know what he has promised you? Himself. The greatest and highest being and if you will object in the universe, is yours. Now that's amazing. There's nothing higher than God. By him, all things came into existence and are upheld in their existence, and you get him. That's remarkable. First Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. That's the cross. The righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus for us that he may bring us to God. When you pray, pray like this. Our Father. He's your Father. Jesus is your big brother. The Holy Spirit is the new energy and power to live this life that is impossible to live without him. Matthew 28:20 20, You have God with you always always without exception. Listen to Matthew 28:20. 20. This is the great commission text. Remember, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Even to the very end, I'm with you. And then, the third person of the Trinity is also promised to be with us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20, Paul says to the Corinthians, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? The Old Testament temple was where God's manifest presence dwelt in the Holy of Holies. Now that it's gone, where's the temple? You. God lives in you. You can't go anywhere that he is not because everywhere you are, there the temple is. Isn't that amazing and kind of terrifying? He sees it all in HD 8K, Jumbotron, because he's in you, but friends, this is comforting, because no matter what you're going through, no matter how bad it is, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how depressing it feels, I am with you. Do you believe it? That's the question. Do you believe the promise? I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Do you believe that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God? Or is these, are these just words? Nice imagery. Or is it real? One of my favorite heroes who's alive today is Ray Ortland. I just heard him speak live about a month ago. And he said most people are living on half of reality, they live as if this world only is real. And so they operate on half of reality. And then he said, no no wonder so many people are angry and upset. But I wanna ask you, friend, Christian, are you living on half of reality? Do you believe that what we read in this great sacred book is true, but not just true, true for you? applies to you and your life, you and your situation, you and your circumstance. Is it not just true, but true for you? Are you living on half of reality? It's a good question to ask yourself. And perhaps you are, and perhaps that explains some of the discord, perhaps. Friends, we're going to get new resurrected bodies like Jesus, earthly resurrected body, I can't wait for a new body. You know, when I was like 21, 22, I could sleep three hours, and I was super creative. I've had all this energy. You drink a grande, and you're just like, Pah! you know, just you're ready to run a mile. Now, man, I take a nap, and I get up, and I'm like, oh, I'm exhausted. I need another nap. As soon as I just took one. Or you get up from bed in the morning, and you're like, did I even sleep? You know, you're you're. IV Red Bull into your veins, and you're like, I'm so tired, at least I am. How many of you can't wait for your new unbroken body? Amen. I can't wait. So every time something goes wrong with my body, my back gets pulled out, you know, another disappointment shows up, another pain or another ache, another failure, I'm like, you know what? This is not how it's gonna be for long. I'm gonna have a brand new body and it's gonna have energy like I've never experienced before, that no drug can touch a candle to. Make cocaine look like white tea, which has very little caffeine in it. (laughs) All my cocaine users went, whoa, that's a lot of energy. (laughs) That was a joke. Better not be using cocaine. full and complete forgiveness of sins. Did you hear that? Friends, you are offered as a promise from God, full and free and complete forgiveness of all your trespasses, even the ones you haven't committed yet. 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie to ourselves. We trick ourselves. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins to God, he is faithful. Who's faithful? God. God is faithful to, and just, to forgive us our sins and, not just forgive, cleanse you of all the mess of your sins, all the guilt of your sins, all the shame of your sins, I'll wash you as well. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. What great news, friends, that all you have to do is believe that that's true. And then confess your sin. And the text says, he will forgive you and wash you of the grime that your sin got all over you. And as Christians, you remember the Last Supper. There's a great image there where Peter uh, is, is, is protesting that Jesus washes his feet. You remember that? Lord, no, you, you never wash my feet. And he's like, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part with me and then Peter over the top Well, then just wash all of me, all of me. No, Peter, you're a bit rowdy, relax. Those who've had a bath just need to have their feet washed, meaning as we go through life, we will sin. If we say we have no sin, we are a liar. We will sin, and we are washed in Christ, but our feet get dirty. So what do we do about our dirty feet? We confess our sins, and then our feet get clean again. And then you're going to step in some more crap, are you not? And then what do you do? You confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to wash it off and forgive you. And then you're going to step in something else and, and repeat. Friends, this is the good news. That over and over and over again, full and free forgiveness and cleansing. And cleansing is yours this is the promise of God and I have two more can I do two more please two more and I could go on all night that our labor in the Lord is not in vain I love this promise 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, and 1 Corinthians 15 is that great resurrection passage. Starts with the gospel, and then, you know, if if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is in vain. Well, he ends that great section on the resurrection there with this. Therefore, in light of what I just said about the resurrection, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Vain meaning empty. It's not for nothing. All your labor in the Lord will count for something. On that great day, you want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You want to hear, look at this treasure that you've amassed because you believed in the Sermon on the Mount when I said, don't store up treasure on earth, but rather store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal. You believe that and so you refuse to store up treasure on earth, but you all the while by not giving up, by working continually for me and my kingdom, look at this treasure. Now notice I did start with God. So I'm not saying let's ditch God in light of treasure. God is the number one thing we get but we also are promised treasure in heaven, whatever that will look like, and we're not exactly told. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, I have labored in the Lord for many years, and from the look of a lot of it, it was in vain. Comes to nothing. Wasted sermons, wasted studies, wasted counseling sessions, wasted leadership meetings, wasted, 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 and you know what Satan would like me to do? You might as well just do something else. Unless I believe this, that my labor in the Lord is not in vain. Contrary to what you want me to believe, Satan, I'm not believing your promise like Adam did and like Eve did. No, I will believe what Paul said to the Corinthians, that my labor in the Lord is not in vain, regardless of what it looks like now. Because friends, seeds planted sometimes take decades to grow. Right? And so we must believe that God is working through us when we work for him. We must believe it. Because if you're just looking for microwavable popcorn fruit, you're gonna be really disappointed. If I don't see it right away, I give up and throw in the towel. No. God is the God of generations. Thousands of years between Abraham and the promise fulfilled in the seed. Thousands of years. And we get upset when it's been a couple days. Last one. Friends, all the promises of God are yes and amen for us in Christ. This is what 2 Corinthians 1.20 says. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. In Christ, all the promises are ours. All of them, Old Testament, New Testament. We, united to Christ, have the promises of God for us to stand on like solid rocks when the winds blow and the storms crash. I'll finish with the chorus of the song that we just sang. I put my faith in Jesus my anchor to the ground, my hope and firm foundation. He'll never let me down. Friends, that's an exercise in real faith, that your faith would land in him. Maybe for the first time and you are saved from the wrath of God, from the penalty of your sin, from hell, but even as a Christian We continue to sin and God continues to forgive us and grow us and make us more and more like Jesus, even when the storms are blowing and the lightning's flashing and the thunder's clapping and we're afraid. God is still at work, friends. And yes, it takes faith to believe that. And if you don't have it, you need to ask for it. And so maybe that's what you need to do as we take communion. Place your faith in Jesus for the first time Trust him for the forgiveness of your sins and he will forgive you. Or ask for the faith to believe that he is at work even in your current situation and circumstance.